Hello there. Gen- I mean, Zach, hi. Hi. Uh, it's time to record the podcast that we do. This is the podcast that we do. We're doing the Majora's Mask podcast. It's called The Complete Guide to Termina. And uh, we just got done on the last episode talking about the transition, the intro sequence into Termina. And then after the happy mask salesman uh, gave us a mission, we walked out of the door, out of the clock tower, into Clock Town. Yeah. We're in it. And, well, on the previous episode, we briefly alluded to the fact that I deleted an episode a recording and we had to re-record it and that is also true of this episode that's right but not hopefully true of all the other episodes <laughs> be careful if you say that you might cause this to also happen again who can say uh, well we were just talking about how my computer crashed earlier and yes we the, uh, uh we've been talking about how data is very uh, tenuous and fragile uh, but that's not one of the themes of The Legend of Zelda, Majora's Mask. However, one of the themes of The Legend of Zelda, Majora's Mask, is doing the same thing over and over again. That's right. And uh, so we are recording this episode the second time. Uh-huh. And I wanted to make sure, because on other episodes, we talk about, as we discussed in some other episode, blah, blah, blah. I want to make sure that we say all the same things on this episode. As much as we can. I'm going to leave yes. out some things that I said that I would not say the second time. So that's pretty yes. cool. I get to because when I, when I tell a bad joke. That that joke is just now never never to be heard again. It's great. Wonderful. Data is so ethereal. But um, the thing is, I lost my side of the recording, but you still had your recording, your that's side correct. of the episode. So you were able to listen to what you said in a creepy like phone conversation where you can't hear my side and like review the stuff that we went over on that episode. That's true. And so I did that. I just put that on and was watching some twitch.television on silent while I listened to myself talk. And I took a bunch of notes about the cool things I said last time that would be cool to say again this time. But then tragedy struck. You met with a terrible fate? I met with a terrible fate. Uh, for the second time while recording or, like, doing stuff for a podcast we've done, noclip.website crashed my computer. <laughs> and so I had a notepad document open while I was doing this, and the computer crashed, but Windows did the thing where it says, we've crashed, and here's the blue screen, but also we're going to like do a quick fix and see what's going on before we actually restart the computer and the notes were my second monitor so i managed to uh very adroitly grab my phone and take a screenshot of that monitor so i still have those notes here not a screenshot but like a a, phone picture a photograph yeah of the actual second monitor that i have here that's pretty impressive uh yeah I'm happy with it. And now I get to talk about all the things I talked about last time that are worth talking about. Okay, do you want to start us off? Well, yeah. So we exit the clock tower. And 
we notice very quickly that we have 72 hours. I guess oh, it yeah, it, it says dawn of the first day. 72 hours remain. And, you know, you, the player, have probably read the instruction manual or the back of the box or have you know, cultural knowledge of what this game is about and understand that to be 72 hours until something happens with the moon that sounds real bad. But if you're following, like, the game's narrative, all you know at this point is that you have 72 hours until the mask man leaves. Yeah, yeah. So it seems like an overly ominous way to, you know, sell that <laughs> if you look at it from that perspective. Yes. And then... Tattle, your new fairy companion, says that, okay, look, if we need to find Skull Kid, let's just go to the authorities. And <laughs> yes, the fairy so authority to in town is, of course, the great fairy of magic. Yes, I was playing um, Link to the Past today and noticing how it, like, there's a lot of, whenever you beat a dungeon the narrator voice just straight up tells you what to do next, at least for the first part. Um, and so here, the Ursat's narrator voice, um, Tattle just says, okay, this is the first thing to do. Um, you're free to screw around if you want, but um, there, is <laughs> there is no reason for Link to go to the fairy unless someone says straight up go to the ferry so yeah. let's do that nobody else in town really like would point you there necessarily no um as magical as she is and as important as she turns out to be uh the great fairy doesn't get referred to much in uh by the characters except by one guy who i think we'll talk about later yeah i do like that tattle immediately is like i have to go to the fairy in charge yeah the fact that it's <laughs> fairies trust fairies is an interesting thing uh because you know in ocarina of time there wasn't much connection between the great fairies and the forest fairies right nothing i don't think not a single specific connection there they're almost just separate entities Except I guess the, there's like smaller fairies would show up in fairy fountains sometimes. And those look like the forest fairies, but apparently are different creatures because, or I wonder if, hey, how come when you die in Ocarina of Time, Navi doesn't just revive you like a fairy in a bottle would? I think it's, well, then she'd have to leave, right? Do they die when they do that? I don't think they die. I think they just peace out. Just like, okay, contract fulfilled. So maybe she did that at the end when she leaves. <laughs> you stub your toe when you get back to being I a kid again. I think they die. Or I think they might be two different kinds of fairies. There's the kind of fairy that can bring people to life, but only once. And there's the kind of fairy that can hang out and yell at you. The kind of fairy that's a character and not a beast. Oh, so the fairies in fairy fountains are dumb fairies. Maybe. 
this is like, good stuff. I feel like I've seen some interpretation in some Zelda game where it's like a fairy spirit versus an actual fairy, but I don't know. Maybe that's some forum post somewhere I read. I don't know. Yeah, this is a really, really dumb conversation. It's really dumb. We should talk about the great fairy magic. Uh, she's cool. Well, she's going to be cool. Uh, right now, I, I she's... I think she's cool right now. Oh, that's true. <laughs> the great fairy of magic has been beat up into a bunch of pieces. Um, because that tricky imp, that bad kid with a mask, uh, broke her into pieces somehow. Yeah, and they all, in all these pieces in chorus, say, like, Skull Kid did this. You have to find the other one that got away. And I guess we should talk about their appearance. They're called stray fairies in the game's nomenclature. And, like, as opposed to the normal fairy sprite, which is just a... Some wings and a starburst a, kind of thing. An iridescent little light. Yeah. Uh, it's this, like, very cartoony, kissy-faced little pink thing. Or I guess they're multiple colors, but... Um, what did I... I had a good comparison the last time we recorded this. They look like something out of a... Oh, it was uh, Yoshi's Story on the yeah. 64. Yeah, especially in the 64 version when there's just, like, a sprite. Yeah. Like a 3D, you know, because, like, the, the sprites for, like, items in the game are, like, 3D models that they just took images of. So it's got, it, it definitely has that Yoshi story vibe. In the 3DS version, they're modeled, and it's gross in a very cool way. <laughs> and so you had to find this fairy to put the great fairy back together. Yeah. Uh, the fairy can be in one of two places, depending on the t- time of day. Yeah, it wanders, she wanders around. Which it can be, uh... You're, uh, like, an introduction to the passage of time mechanic, kind of. Yeah. Um, although, like, the way that time, the time of day uh, determines this is a little bit, um, well, it's not obvious at first. And it's pretty, like, simple compared to some of the other stuff, but yeah. Yeah. Um, during, during the day, she's at the laundry pool. Yes. And she's floating over the water, so you have to use um, Deku Link's water skipping ability to grab her. And at night, she's in East Clocktown, uh, up high, where you have to use your uh, flower flying ability to grab her. Yeah. So it does demonstrate that Deku Link has powers, but a lot of the other stuff that's going on, you know, when you first meet people as Deku Link is you're discovering how powerless you are as yeah. little kid version of Link. And we got it we and, and we can get into that a little bit more now. Um as you're wandering around town as Deku Link, you might get to one of the exits of the town and one of the guards there will stop you. Um I just realized that the uh you know the sound effect for the guard like scooting into your way and his armor clattering is really loud and kind of obnoxious and i'm just realizing that's like that must be on purpose to like draw your attention to this yeah you wouldn't notice that the npc is like because that behavior is something that's actually in ocarina of time because mito does that same sort of rotating on an axis to prevent you from getting to the deku tree but he does that silently and here in Majora's Mask, they realized it. you can draw way more attention to it by making it a noisy thing as the armor clinks around. 
and they want that to be one of the first things you find out as Deku Link, that you're stuck here as long as you are a little kid. Yeah. Even in the face of, like, impending doom, the guards will not let you leave the town without a That's a interesting. The lead guard really wants everybody to evacuate, but the guard underlings are like... We can't let this little kid out into the terminal field. It's too dangerous. There are monsters. Well, we'll talk. We'll get to the captain later, but he, that's under his directive. Yes. Yeah. Um, Complicated characters in this video game. The stray fairy, you grab it and you take it back to the great fairy's fountain. And she recapitulates into uh, an actual great fairy like we remember from ocarina of time let's talk about the great fairies in ocarina of time yeah uh so they in prior zelda games leading games prior to ocarina of time great fairies or not even great fairies just fairies exist i guess great fairies exist technically i think they're called great fairies and link to the past they're, yeah they're i mean they're like larger even if they're not called that you can tell that they're there are tears. There's there's a taxonomy there. Yes. Uh, in Zelda, a series that even early on had some pretty evocative character designs. Uh, fairies always were kind of given short shrift. I think a lot. The thing I've noticed when playing uh, Link to the Past just recently is that a lot of the character designs are <laughs> like. Not nearly as good as you're going to get in, like, games that come right after it. Yep. Uh, things still look really generic in Link to the Past. And the fairies are, like, just a lady in a dress with wings. Yeah, it's very simple. And Ocarina of Time originally was going to have a great fairy that was kind of in that vein. There's, like, a—I was just looking at it. There's a beta model that people have dug up where it's more of just a lady in wings, uh, kind of featureless, but maybe that was just because it was an early model that they never finished. Sure. Or, I mean, that would m jive with most of the characters in the game. I think even more featureless than the ones in the oh, game. Oh, okay. But, um, right. it, whether that's a stylistic thing or a thing that would have gotten cleaned up over time. You know, but it did get cleaned up over time. They did change it into well, they something more Well, they made a completely detailed. different model. Yes, which are the cool Ocarina of Time ones that they're like sexy ladies. A huge naked lady with golden vines wrapped around her. Yeah. What like are those even supposed cool to haircuts. be? I think if you look at, there's a great fairy in Twilight Princess that's kind of the same idea that's like wrapped in like vines. Uh -huh. Or even uh, reinterpretations later in like Hyrule Warriors of the same great fairy in it's like, it's just like that. It's like, it's like, like plants. Okay. Plant clothes. Um, and, anyway. but like they're, they have this eerie laugh. They are, uh, kind of disturbing characters. <laughs> yeah. They're given like full cutscenes when they show up in a way that's like very different than what you'd expect from right, the previous where you just walk up and a fairy pops up and refills your health. And they have strong personalities. Yeah. Um, as creatures who, like, uh, I don't know. Would you say that this, this extends to, 
I'm trying to think of like uh, supernatural figures in Miyazaki films, I guess. I am who are uh, like good, really like goofy, um, like powerful and yet very um, informal and jocular, like playful. You know what I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm extremely uh, underwatched with Miyazaki films, so I can't speak okay. to that specifically. But yeah, I know I know the character archetype you're thinking of. And this is a, a development of that, I think. Um, and it sets up a precedent for uh, great fairies or fairy figures in future Zelda games to be kind of on the weird side in different ways. Yeah. Definitely. From here out, they're not so simple. You end up with a lot of fairy characters, I think. Right well, you have <laughs> in in Wind Waker. That's the big one are, I was thinking of. Yeah, they're they, the great fairies in Wind Waker are kind of creepy in a different way. Um, in Breath of the Wild, the visual design is, you know, very different. But I think the personality and the vibe are basically the same wouldn't yeah, you say i would yeah. agree i think those those great fairies are an extension of this type of great fairy and no other versions are coming to mind right away i can think of a bunch of more boring versions so i'm not going to talk about those okay <laughs> um anyway, anyway this one uh says i'm the great fairy of magic or sorry she says oh tattle and you, young one of the altered shape, thank you for returning my broken and shattered body to normal. I am the great fairy of magic. I thought that masked child was helping me, and I grew careless. All I can offer you now um, is this. I shall grant you magic power as a sign of my gratitude. Please accept it. And then she says, The man who lives in the observatory outside of town may know of the Skull Kid's whereabouts. <laughs> so you get two things there, right? One, yes. she, she can see through your uh, altered She can form. tell that you are cursed, yeah. Yeah, she can see that you're cursed, which is exciting. Uh, and that's something that, um, j lest we forget, the mask salesman was also able to do. Uh, and she also just kind of, go, here's the next thing, go to the next thing, uh -huh. tells you go to the observatory. It's, it's, you know, you're making a game. You got to get the player from point A to point B. Yep. We have a second scene we want to show in this whole thing. So go do that. Uh, she also says, if you are ever returned to your former shape, come see me. I shall give you more help. Yeah. Which. We can talk about that. On a well, no, we have to talk about it now because. You aren't going to be returned to your former shape in this cycle. So it's not immediately clear that uh, the great fairy is aware of the time loop in the way that the mask salesman is. You know well, what I mean? And she might not be. She might she not might, be. She might just assume you're going to get it fixed and then come back yeah. in like a week. Uh, but this ends up functioning as a clue for what to do on the next cycle. Yeah. So that's cool. What happens when you come back here on the next cycle? We'll talk about that on the next cycle. No, we won't. Yeah, we do. 
Oh, okay. Then good. Yeah. Good. We should talk about the magic power, though. Okay. So you get magic power as Deku Link. And that also carries through to the other forms that I guess we'll talk about when we get to the other forms. But for Deku Link, it lets you shoot magic bubbles. Cool. As a, as a very, like, seemingly weak projectile attack, but it actually does decent damage as far as I can tell. Hmm. It's the really hard I, to aim. It's a little... It is just a bubble, so... It's a bubble, and it kind of whoops around, so it's not very precise. I think just like with Deku Link's flying ability, they make it janky on purpose to make Deku Link a janky, weak character. Now, the one thing I read just recently when I was looking through some TCRF stuff, Mm. originally it was going to be that Deku Link shoots the Deku Nuts. Oh, yeah, that would make sense. Like the monster versions of the characters do wait why doesn't he i bet i was this disappointed when i found out when i first played the game and then i got used to it and i never thought about it again yeah i mean it's just probably a game balance thing yeah well and they want uh they want your projectile to use your magic power yeah every otherwise he would have nothing to use magic power unless you tied that maybe originally they tied that to the floating and thought that that was miserable (laughs) <laughs> there's some version way worse that they tested and we're like oh this will never do um yeah i can believe it of course floating does end up using your magic power in wind waker so well it was better there somehow i don't know <laughs> they don't even do magic powder power in zelda anymore uh, well, I think that the endurance meter in Breath of the Wild is basically the same as the endurance slash magic meter in Link Between Worlds. I'm running that through my head, and you're probably right. Um, I like the endurance meter. Or stamina yeah, meter, fine. rather. rather. I, I, like, I like having a, a magic uh, resource that can be drained and being you know something that i have to figure out how to replenish um i think that's a fine thing to have you know it depends on what kind of game you want to make maybe breath of the wild 2 will give us both and then it'll be too much also they can't do both because they're both green that just doesn't work (laughs) Hmm. we'll see we'll see now uh we want to go to the the observatory observatory um, but we can't. It's just outside of town, according we, to we the We can't fairies. get out of town. We can't get out of town. So I guess I'm going to walk around the perimeter of the town and try to find a secret way out. That makes sense. And when I do that, I find a little alley that is being guarded, Mido-like, by a little kid. And the little kid says, no, this is the bomber's secret hideout. Yeah, and so, he, won't, he will not let you through unless you know the password. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I don't know the password, and I don't have time to brute force it. I only have 70 hours. So I need to talk to the bombers. And there's a bunch of little kids. Uh, <laughs> not many um, or Ocarina of Time characters get converted into multiple um, Majora's Mask characters. And here we have the big one. It's the kid from the graveyard who is a fan of Dompe for some reason. He's been converted into... For some reason. That's rude. 
I, I, I think that Dompe is very cool, Zach. You know this. Dompe is very cool. I don't know why that little kid likes him so much. Because he's got taste. Okay. We're going to have to talk to the boss of the bombers. Fortunately, he's right over there by the exit of the fairy fountain. Um, so possibly we did this before we even went around looking for a way to the uh, observatory. Yeah. Because the lead bomber with the red hat is a red head hair thing um is playing with what the heck there's a big balloon with the image of majora's mask on it that balloon has an evil presence it almost seems like a banjo kazooie thing of having (laughs) the rare logo on a game (laughs) object yeah kind of it's kind of that it's probably not actually mal- this. This balloon's not a malicious balloon. This balloon's just there. It's just there. It and actually, it's helpful. Um, we want it to be there. The for some reason, the kid, his name turns out to be Jim. He can't manage to break the balloon with his pea shooter. Yeah. But if you use your new bubbles to break it, then he's like, "Whoa, I'm impressed." And so he invites you. He says, you want to get to that secret passage? You want to get to our hideout? Well, you got to play hide and seek with us because that's, that, that's what we do. We're kids. Yeah. And um, so he arrange, He calls up the other bombers and arranges a, um, a, a hide and seek game. I think he interestingly gives you a time limit of like until morning or until sundown. What is it? It's something like that. I think it's just because otherwise the when when the day starts a new they it would reset. It would reset the the kids. They can't keep playing after dark. They have to go home. Um yes. That but they don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know what I mean though. Yeah, yeah. Um so I like this hide and seek thing. It's good. It's very simple. But like it's, I think it's it's a very believable mini game of sorts, and it's a really good way to give Deku Link something to do. Yeah, you know, it's I mean Deku Link is a little kid. Here's a quest for a little kid: play hide yeah. and seek. It gives Deku Link a chance to use his powers because the spinning attack and the uh, bubble gun are both very useful for tracking down and you know chasing down these little kids uh shooting a kid with the bubble (laughs) incapacitates that kid briefly uh which is pretty cool um gosh you chase them all down go ahead sorry i'm starting to think about the extent to which clock town is designed as like a playground for deku link yeah in some ways yeah interesting and this task is also like another excuse to send you around Clock Town, right? Yeah, yeah. If, if you haven't gotten to go enough, to all the zones. If you haven't gotten enough of exploring when you were looking for the stray fairy, this is even more of that. So this time you might around you might catch a door that you didn't see before that might lead to something yeah. exciting. Very good, very good quest. I love hide and seek. When you catch all the kids, you go back to North Clock Town where Jim reveals the password by having the kids turn around and reveal the numbers on their backs in the correct order to show the password which is one two three four five 
well, it's some combination of those five numbers in an order. Yes. It can actually that's be... That's called a permutation. It can be one, two, three, four, five. I saw a video of this last week where it actually oh. will do that. Which is delightful. Uh, yes. This is a randomly determined number based on some kind of randomization in the game. Do you want to talk about that weird randomized feature? We should talk about it in a later episode. Um... We better, because I don't remember what you're talking about. Oh, you're going to remember <laughs> when I tell you. It's okay. amazing. Okay. Uh, okay, take that password over to the guard of the alleyway. I want to point out that this one bomber appears to be, like, the tiniest, weakest one, because his voice noises are a lot higher pitched and more, you know, like, pitiful. He sounds like he's sighing when he talks. Yeah. Uh, do the other ones even have voice I noises? Don't, I don't think they do. No. Okay. Interesting. That's amazing. You just that they make this one look weak compared to the others by giving this guy a noise. The others don't have it. If they made a noise, it could be the same noise. But maybe I think of this one as weaker because he's singled out as having. Oh my gosh. It's just wow. that the others make noise that doesn't merit mention <laughs> in the game's like language right you give him the correct password and you get to descend into the sewers beneath clock town yeah one of my favorite places in the game this is a cool little zone it's like a dungeon for babies it's like i maybe not quite a dungeon but yeah it's like it's like a first challenge I get. I guess it's a dungeon by virtue of being like you going. You're going underground to achieve an objective. Well, and you know, there's a, uh, yeah, there's, there's a, a puzzle space kind of with monsters that you pass through. I mean, I'm not here to define dungeon, but I would say that this fits some very uh, broad definition of dungeon, okay. and I think it is for babies. Yeah. It's really cool. There's, uh, like, this is the bomber's hideout, in addition to being the sewers under Clocktown. So there's a bunch of graffiti scrawled by the bombers on the walls. In uh, the 3DS version, the develop the Grezzo guys love adding stuff in Hylian text. I don't think that the original had, like, translatable Hylian text on the walls. I'm not... Uh, no, I wouldn't look um did it have any graffiti from the bombers down there no that is oh my gosh new to the 3ds version that's interesting because like i i have put hands on ocarina time 3d like one time and i've looked around the maps in no clip a bunch of times and in ocarina of time 3d they stayed very true to the original game without expanding visually yeah. very much other yeah. than just you know creating a, a a higher def environment right uh majora's mask 3d they just went buck wild and we have to imagine it's the same basic group of people right certainly it's it's the two games Grizzle made back to back i think okay unless that unless that 3ds rpg was in between i don't remember i never played it ever oasis ever oasis Someday I'll play it, maybe. The thing is, the environments in Ocarina of Time do not have a lot of specificity. 
I feel like on every episode of this podcast, I talk about <laughs> how generic Ocarina of Time is. <laughs> I There's some spots I would push back on that, but I understand what you mean. Um, like, the, the environments in Majora's Mask have so much more, like, purpose to them. They're yeah, so uh, much more inhabited. Specifically in Clocktown, but in some other places, yes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so they... They have, like, a hook to add environmental detail. Because this isn't just the sewers, it's the bomber's hideout. That means, well, there should be a bunch of childish scrawl graffiti on the walls. And here it is. Stuff, it says in Hylian text, like, bombers. Or, yeah. yeah. Um, and it is, like, the, the, the other thing is... They don't just have a font, you know, like in Fez, when you have the secret language, you know, okay, that's that can is I I am pretty sure applied just as a font type out what cool text you want to have hidden in the game. And there it is. Okay, there's some of that in the Nintendo 64 and uh, 3DS games where like they could just type in their font da, 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 da. this is what this is going to say um but there is a lot especially in majora's mask 3d of they had to actually write it out, like draw out the letters of this yeah. made-up alphabet right there's which a lot is, of signs and writing on objects and stuff and that speaks to a level of when you consider that there's no reason really for them to have this Hylian text in the first place, it's completely invisible to most players. And in fact, I almost want to like go back and explain. Let's go back and explain. When you see a sign in Ocarina of Time and it has a bunch of like fake looking letters on it, that's actually um, those letters are part of a font that is a cipher i guess or code of um japanese letters right yeah this the generic sign is a bad example because it says like nintendo and then nintendo backwards and then nintendo upside down but yeah there's stuff uh, like that on the on the high def version of the the map icon there's actually text on that there's um but then there's stuff like on Malin's dress, I think it has the sign for lawn, lawn, lawn going around her dress. Yeah. Or, or it says, like, lawn, lawn on the milk bottle. Yeah, there's definitely that one. Uh, so, like, <laughs> because I think a lot of people tend to think, oh, this writing in this game is just made up symbols. They're just drawing whatever symbols look good in that space. All writing is made up symbols. Zach. Ah! <laughs> you got me. <laughs> um, like, here and in a bunch of Zelda games, there are various different alphabets and writing systems that have been created to make the these pieces of made-up text in the game be actually translatable. Sometimes and only this for is one real. game, which is weird. Um, Twilight Princess had the uh, worst <laughs> alphabet 
It's pretty bad. Um, I think they only use that for one game because it was not very good. Yeah, I agree. Um, and Wind Waker had kind of a cool one that only ended up being used in Minish Cap after that. I think that's right. I think it only only shows up there. No, it's also in Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Lots of cool so like, little ciphers. Yes. And Zelda Wiki, um, despite being I don't like it very much, <laughs> is the only source, as far as I know, where a lot of these texts have been translated. But many of them remain untranslated even by Zelda Wiki. And I managed to translate a couple of them myself, maybe a little. And if we ever get to any of them, I'll be sure and note them. That's good. Um, the This little dungeon does have monsters. It has a couple of Skultulas that come out of holes in the ceiling. There are other holes in the ceiling that when you see them the first time, I guess I always wonder if monsters are going to drop down out of those. But I think they represent, like, access to the sewer for, yeah. like, toilets and stuff yep. upstairs. That's how I would um, take that. Yeah. But there's also water running through here, which I talked about on the previous episode. This seems to be part of a waterway, I guess, that links up with the one that's pushing the water wheel under the uh, clock tower. Would you say that makes sense? Yeah, Absolutely. And I talked about that too much on the previous episode. What else is down here? Oh, there's a secret zone. Yeah, there's a there's a bombable wall. Well, before Echo. you even get to the bombable wall, there's a stretch of water that's too far for Deku Link to skip up. Yes. And so this remains inaccessible until you can come back as someone who can swim or someone who's tall enough to touch the bottom. And uh, when you get back there, there's a bombable wall. And behind the bombable wall is... A chest with some rupees. Yes, a chest, it's 100 rupees. Yeah. Um, which, when you need to fill up your wallet at the beginning of a cycle, this is a possible candidate, although you do have to put in a password to reach it. Uh, but it's a good source of rupees. Well, well, we should continue through the the sewers to get to a room. The boss room. The boss. Yeah, the boss room. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Um, the other thing is, there's a bunch of like designs on the wall of constellations and suns and stuff. So somehow these sewers like know that they're connected to an observatory. I don't know if that makes any sense. Uh, but yeah, you reach this big room where there's another one of those Majora's Mask balloons. And the boss and... music starts playing. <laughs> and you have to pop it in order to climb up a ladder. Yeah. And I wondered on the previous episode why this is here. But you pointed out that if you are able to like brute force or incorrectly uh, enter the correct um, password... You still have to go to the Great Fairy first to pass through this part to have bubble powers. Yep. That's a... What do you call? That is a progression-bearing balloon. <laughs> sure. But you can pop that 
with the magic, go up the ladder, and walk into walk through. Have you ever a, tried, like, Zach? Sorry to interrupt, but have you ever tried to climb a ladder when there's a balloon hovering near the top of that ladder? I cannot say I have done this. It's no. friggin' impossible. You have to pop the balloon first. Hmm. And I'm glad that this game recreates that experience accurately. Anyway, okay, good. so you were saying you like go up the ladder and through a hallway or something? Yeah, and it's like a long hallway and it like... It's it's almost like a loading zone in like a Metroid yeah. Prime, but it's not really because it's sixty four <laughs> and they don't have load times in that way. Uh, but they do need a transitory space so that they can load up the new or not load up, but start playing the new music. I don't think it's loading in that way, but I know what you mean. No, I, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. You get uh, to a basement. Yes. <laughs> There's a bunch of stuff in this basement. Um, yeah, there's a scarecrow for one thing. He's and here. The scarecrow will talk to you, and I think the scarecrow, when you're just Deku Link with no ocarina, does give you the opportunity to dance for a while and skip some time. Or that might only be correct. in 3DS. I'm not sure. I believe that's correct in all the all versions okay. of the game. There's also a cuckoo down here. I guess producing eggs for the man who lives here to eat. The cuckoo's in a cage, right? Yeah. Uh, I think so. I don't know. And then uh, a bunch of junk. There's a bunch of junk. There's like diagrams on the walls. Um, There's pots that like I think consistently contain a lot of rupees. Yeah. I remember this. I there's like bags of cuckoo feed. It's a it's a cool detailed space. Yeah, even in, like, the 64 version, it's a cool, detailed space. And uh, by the time you get here, this cool music is play playing that doesn't really match your current environment, but it will match much better the place that you get to when you walk up the big stairs as you yeah. enter the Astral Observatory proper, where cool. there's a big dome with stars moving across it, which is not how an observatory normally works. And there's this huge, ridiculous telescope cartoonish yeah. telescope amazing and there's a guy um who is the observator observator the astronomer in this game uh but we recognize him as a guy from ocarina of time where he was the old man who walks slowly around hyrule castle town square yeah and he had in that game he had stuff to say about I think he's the one that talks about how Hylians have big ears to hear the voice of the god as is. Oh, okay. I think that's his role in that game. Here he's Professor Shikashi. And he's one of the characters who is now honorarily Professor, Professor Shikashi in Ocarina of Time. Right? Yes. There are several characters that get names in this game that have then carried backwards to Ocarina of Time. Um, and here he is uh, an observatory. I can't keep saying it. He's an astronomer who specifically studies the moon, which is fortunate because that has turned out to be very important lately. And, uh, he, ha he has on display a thing called a moon's tear. Yeah. It's a pretty rock. It's a jewel. It's a pretty rock. It's like tear shaped. And it also appears to fall out of the moon's eye, 
does that mean that the moon in Termina has always had a face? Maybe. I don't know. Huh. Um, and, like, he says something about, like, that rascally skull kid. Um, that is one of the lunar rocks that has been blazing from the surface of the moon lately. They fall from what looks to be the moon's eye, so I call them moon's tears. They are rare stones valued by many in town. Uh, huh, I was wondering, did, doesn't he say something about the skull kid? I don't think so. Oh, okay. But the skull kid is relevant because he'll ask you to look through the telescope. Yes. And you can look all around Termina Field, and there's a couple little scenes you can see. Yes, there's a guy climbing a tree. Um, there's a I couple guys if... that'll like yeah. stand in spots where there are grottos. Oh yeah, like pointing you come here and drop a bomb. Yeah. Um, I think that you can also see a Deku business scrub fly uh, into a different grotto. Maybe not now because that's like a cutscene that I think is blocked by seeing the current cutscene. Or maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't think um, I've tried that, but yeah. But there's a cutscene we gotta see. Yes, because they they. It's very difficult to make players look up. Anyone who has done. Uh, three game design in three dimensions or anyone who has done like theme park design uh, mm. will tell you that like people are not going to look up unless you give them a really good reason for example in the haunted mansion <laughs> uh, when that room stretches out they point out that the room is stretching out and that causes you to look up at the ceiling and that way you don't miss it when he says of course there's always my way the scrim above you flashes and you see a guy hanged himself in a Disney park. Or Jack Skellington, depending on the time of year. <laughs> and I remember in the commentary on Portal, they were describing this problem and how they uh, got you to look up at one point. They said, like, players will look up if there is a um, ladder. They, like, look up to the top of the ladder. Uh, and so they had, like, a broken ladder in a place to make you start looking up, even though they didn't want you to actually climb a ladder up to whatever you're looking at at that point. Here, they get you to look up by pointing you this, uh, pointing this telescope at, basically, at Clock Town, which has the tall feature in the center, the Clock Tower. So you naturally look up that, and then you look up at the moon... So there's a moon up there. Yeah. Uh, but there's also something on top of the clock tower. It's a guy. It's our guy. Ah. It's Skull Kid. Oh, that pesky Skull Kid. And I'm not sure about this. I wasn't sure about this the first time we recorded, and I didn't bother to check. But I think that Skull Kid does slightly different animations depending on which day you observe him doing this. That sounds familiar, but I don't know if that sounds familiar from before or from the time I heard you talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to will this into existence. This is just true. Okay. If you look at him on the first day, then he, like, notices you looking at him through a telescope, which is creepy. And he, like... 
he like does a spankity spankity at you. He like slaps his butt to mock yeah. you. But he also looks up and then control is taken away from you to look up at the moon, which sheds a meteor tear, which falls down to the earth and fortunately falls right inside the fence of the uh, astral observatory that you're currently inside of. It's very convenient. And there's a door you can walk outside to the little lawn, uh, which actually puts you out on Termina Field, just not in a capacity that lets you go other places in the game which is some good stuff yes um i think that's great to uh give you stuff to look forward to you know as you're being um you're like in this first cycle you're really constrained to a very small part of the game and um by giving you these little hints of what else is going on um it makes it you know, exciting to find out what else will happen. And uh, you go outside and you grab the moon's tear and you kind of look through the fence at how cool Termina Field will be when you manage to get there for real. Then you go back inside and uh, Professor Shikashi tells you something about, hey, did you grab that moon's tear? They're really valuable. Yeah, basically. And that's your hint. Oh, yeah. Because there's something that you probably encountered at some point while you're running around town that we haven't talked about yet. Yes. Um, oh, was it, there something else I wanted to say about the astral? Yes. Oh, there is something else you want to say. We were talking about the Hylian language and oh, Grezzo, thank and you Gre so Grezzo's much. use of it in this game. So on the telescope, the part of the telescope that's inside the building, there is a little red switch. Okay, and if you view the texture for this little red switch, uh, you can see that it's like, I guess, like three by seven pixels or something. Uh, three by seven red er, pixels for this one tiny little part of the telescope and written in white pixels in the Hylian language. It's two characters that correspond to one Japanese word that means look. Like, this is where you look into the telescope. So, Grezzo, in putting little bits of details in Hylian text all over the place, creates this one detail that, in-game, in is either impossible or ridiculously difficult to actually see. Uh, but it's like look into this end of the telescope yeah it's, it's the amazing. kind of detail that you probably would never ever notice playing it on hardware yeah yeah like you can see it on no clip really easily mm -hmm. and that's about it the reason i get so pent up pent up the reason i get so excited about these details is because when people are analyzing games or media and they're saying, look at this tiny little detail, what do you think it means? There historically is always someone or many people who will say that doesn't mean anything. The people who made this just arbitrarily put in, you know, a random thing to fill up space. Um, you know, it's foolish or like irrational stupid 
to try and find significance in these things. But the fact is, games, movies, media are made by people. It's not like the real world where the veins of a leaf are just there because that's how the veins of a leaf work. There's no writing there. In things that people make, because they're made by people, there is a chance, there's a possibility that th those things have been arranged and that someone maybe has tried to hide some weird message in there. And the more I look into this stuff, <laughs> it seems like increasingly, actually, especially with games, um, people do intentionally put little jokes and words and stuff in places just because the people who make things like making things with meaning. Anyway, I could go on. Yeah. Oh, do you want me to go on? I, we could do that. Or so we on to the next when thing. you first come out of the um, door in the clock tower and it says 72 hours remain, one of the first things you're going to see is a gold Deku flower. And you're like, oh, I bet I could pop out of that and fly somewhere. But as think. you approach it, some dude shows up. It's a business scrub. A business scrub. And it's the first business scrub we meet, I guess. Um, he is a Deku scrub who's flying around, who has like bags <laughs> slung over his shoulders and under his arms. And he gets in the flower so that you can't get in there. And he says, hey, I'm a business scrub. I do business from this flower. Um, but I want to get the heck out of town. <laughs> Does he say? No, he's he's like, I'd be willing to give up this spot, but I need to get a gift for my wife. Yeah, let's see if I can find the text. A lot of people talk about their wives in this game. That might be worth. It's a game about marriage. Kind of. We'll get there. We'll get there eventually. Um. No, he talks about how this is like a primo spot because it's right there, like in the main drag of Clock Town. I've already sold out my wares and the carnival hasn't even begun. I'm thinking of closing up shop so I can buy a gift for my wife and return her to her in my village. I've heard that a stone called the Moon's Tear shines brighter than any other in the land. If you've got one, I'd really like to get it from you. My, my, my wife would love it. If you give it to me, I'll give you my spot here. Like my my storefront space in this abandoned town square, uh, Deku flower included. So since I think you're likely to get this dialogue even before you start looking for the great fairy, you know, it's it's very easy to do because it just triggers by proximity to that flower, and it's a pretty big volume yeah. that you triggers this. If you even just run past it on your way somewhere else, it'll trigger yeah. the cutscene and let you know, you get the whole dialogue. And so you kind of get immediately this quest to find a moon's tear. And then you do all this other stuff. You go to the great fairy because Tattle tells you. You go to the observatory because the fairy tells you. And at the end of it, you get the moon's tear, which you're like, oh, I know what to do with this. Yeah, exactly. So you take it back here and he uh, sells you his business location for he, he, the tier you give him the tier he trades you uh an actual physical paper deed yeah. for the spot which is relevant for some other quests um yes it's 
really cool, actually. I love it's, this a lot. It's fun because it's like a this is the start of a trade sequence in the vein of a, in in the vein of many other Zelda games. Mm-hmm. But it's fun that you're trading for like paperwork. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I love bureaucracy in games. Is this a game that's obsessed with bureaucracy? Maybe not obsessed, but it's a theme. Yes. Um, oh, and it's I think definitely a theme. That comes out of um, being about, quote unquote, real people, you know? Yeah. Um, simulating, in big quotation marks, uh, the uh, a world with, you know, mundane concerns like paperwork deeds. Um, Jobs. Getting a gift for your wife before you go back home for the day. Yeah. Yeah. So he pieces, and then he pieces out, yeah. and it's when he pops down into the Deku flower and comes out with, like, three giant bags, like, holding two, one slung over his shoulder. It's oh, great. did he not have those when he first arrived? He he leaves with more bags than what he came with, which means there's, cool. like, storage space down there, which is cool. <laughs> that tickles my fancy. Um, I guess that for, like... If you weren't Deku Link, then when you hung out, you know, in those uh, flowers, the way Deku guys usually do, um, you're just kind of you've got like a little apartment down there. And it's just that like the very top of your head sticks out while you're doing your business in your little zone. Yep. Little hideout. But the golden Deku flower lets you fly higher than other Deku flowers. And this gives Deku Link the ability to get all the way up to the top entrance of the clock tower uh, because he's not tall enough to climb up the side. And so now you can get to the top entrance of the clock tower. Of course, this all took you, what, 16 hours? I mean, if you've done it a few times like I have or Mm -hmm. you probably have, it takes you like three hours. Um, and so it is not time yet for the carnival to begin and for the door at the top of the clock tower to open. So what do we do for the rest of this first cycle, Zach? I mean, I just farmed rupees. Yeah. Yeah. In a very like uninteresting, the most uninteresting way to do that way. What was that? Oh, just like one set of bushes over and over and over. Okay. It's not like I was farming a mini game or something. I was, no, it was just, I I can load this room another 20 times before the next thing opens up. So let's do that. Did you manage to do the Deku scrub playground? No, I tried it and gave up and okay. came back to it later. <laughs> um, It would be really cool if you could do that on your first cycle, but I don't think I ever have. Um, no, what you can do is you can talk to that scarecrow that we met in the sewers or another scarecrow who's closer to the the near town, um, who will move time forward for you. You can also talk to, oh yeah, Anju's grandmother and she'll tell you stories to pass the time. Yeah. And then, um, when it's midnight on the third day, the clock tower opens yeah, and this is exciting. We should talk about it. Because it's like the clock tower, not only does it open, it like transforms. Right. 
It transforms in the way that I don't fully understand. I've got a better grasp on it, I think. But basically the idea is that the clock face protrudes out and then flips up 90 degrees so that it sits on top of the clock tower as like a stage. Okay, okay. And then the entrance here in front of, rather than just opening, actually turns into stairs allowing access up to the very top of the clock tower with i guess the idea is that when that happens everybody in town just goes up and hangs out on top of the clock it could be i mean maybe i would hang out up on top of the clock that seems cool no it seems too scary for me i would stay on the ground that's okay The thing is, Zach, nobody in clock... If that is the plan, if that's what you normally do on the eve of the carnival, nobody is doing that tonight. And that might be because the moon is right there. Yeah. Um, But there are some people who, like, don't seem to care about the moon, and even they have run away by this point. The music changes, right? Yes. Uh, It's no longer even scary version of Clocktown music. But uh, this, like, (laughs) awesome, supremely creepy, um, I use that word too much, Uh, but what's ominous might be It's frightening. Yes. Um, And mournful. Yes. Melancholy in the way that everything in this game is. Um, Because the stroke of midnight has ushered in the apocalypse you also get like a different clock right it starts clocking counting down in real time yeah how many actual minutes are left until the moon hits the ground and i used to think that this meant that the time scale of the game had changed and now the game itself was in real time meaning that the moon would actually hit the ground at Six minutes after twelve, or whatever. Yeah, but it's not. It's not that the the no, the time passage hasn't changed. Just the presentation of the time passing has changed yeah. in a way to make you way more stressed. Um, right. You actually have a lot of time. It's six minutes, right? Yeah, or six, six minutes it's, is long it's enough. Six to, hours. It's six uh, player minutes and six link hours. Yes. I forget the actual ratio of time in the, that actually passes in game. I don't know if it's a minute per hour or a. I don't know what the actual ratio is, but it no is matter six where you hours. are in Termina, if the if you've been busy doing other stuff, and the uh, clock strikes midnight at when you're at like the Beavers swimming mini game, you'll be able to get to the clock tower. Uh, inside of that time you hope yeah that we we will talk later about a very stressful loop i had Ooh, okay anyway now anyway oh it was i feel like there's something else i wanted to say about this oh no the fact that it the timeline for link hasn't really changed means that the moon hits the ground at on at you know dawn 6 a.m. What would be the fourth day? Yeah. Um, and so the 72 hours thing. Talk about a Monday. Accurate. <laughs> um, you know what, Zach? 
I think the third day is a Monday. I think it's a three-day weekend. I get it wouldn't matter though because it's a, it's the start of the festival anyway, so it's all holiday. So. Oh, that's right. Huh. A carnival, rather, not festival. Um, I like that it's a carnival. The carnival of time. It's evocative. It could have just been festival, but no, they used carnival, which is like a way cooler, more fun word. It kind of keys into your uh, um, circus theory. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, okay, let's go up the door that has turned into stairs and go up onto the big... Now we're walking around on the face of the clock that has been mocking us for the past 72 hours. And it's, like, way bigger in yes. a way that's, like, the game's, like, don't worry about it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> the game is not concerned with this. It's, like, don't worry about it. It's fine. It's just bigger now. There are pots of, you know, like, green pots that you can smash for magic power hanging out on the surface of the clock. Yep. Don't and worry about that either. <laughs> there is also a guy up here. Skull Kid is here along with Tail. Yeah. And he's floating ominously above you uh and uh tattle and tail kind of run the scene because uh tail has taken on kind of a damsel in distress role um he's the one that you're kind of trying to save from skull kid uh although you have a lot of other priorities as, as well but um tail tries to tell you hey what does he say? He says the four. What does he say? It's swamp. Swamp. Mountain. mountain ocean. Ocean. Canyon. Canyon. Hurry. The four who are there. Bring them here. And he kind of like, it's really funny that just a, basically a sprite with no face is able to seem like he's going into a fugue state. Like he's possessed when he says this. You know what I mean? It's very like practiced ritual speaking as if yeah. this is like a text he re- he he read the the game script and memorized this line that is definitely matches your circus theory um i, didn't, I always I read it that, as yeah. he has access to like some arcane information is being spoken through him yes in some sort of mystical way is how i always read it he went to southern face shrine and got the uh <laughs> the text and is relaying it to you now in this moment of like danger yes um and skull kid smacks tail says don't speak out of line stupid fairy and tattle gets mad says no what are you doing to my brother skull kid do you think we're still you're still our friend after that but skull kid says well whatever even if they were to come now, they wouldn't be able to handle me. He, he, just look above you. If it's something that can be stopped, then just try to stop it. Looking at this text dump, I notice that there is a separate text where Tattle can say, Tattle, or sorry, Tail, get away from the Skull Kid. You'll be hit. And, uh, you know, there's other text in here. I'm not sure how exactly this gets triggered, but it's Tattle can say... Oh, what it, it says, uh, you hit my brother over and over. I'll never forgive you. Um, so, I, I mean, it's not a funny thing to. 
it's not funny that Daddle is getting smacked around by a skull kid, but it's funny that, uh, sorry, that Tail is getting smacked around. It's funny to me that Tattle is able to, like, seize this as the same event, or an event that keeps happening rather than the same event being witnessed more than once. Well, from her perspective, it's happened over and over again. Yes. So, yeah. Um, It's good stuff. It's cool. It's a type of... We don't get a lot of POV necessarily. I mean, Link's a silent protagonist. We don't really yeah. get his perspective on this. And we don't get a ton from Tattle of commentary about their time traveling adventures, except right. for this pretty much. I so feel cool like that. you could write this where Tattle notes, hey, haven't we done this before? Oh boy, this again. And I think that would get old so fast. I think that the- they were really the Majora, smart to what the majora's mask novelization from tattle's perspective uh yes it's like a young adult novel and just <laughs> oh today we did the great bay temple again <laughs> so like okay here you are deku link the weakest link and you need to you're faced with this like loki figure this evil god who can uh summon the moon to destroy the earth what can you do i have an idea what well i had two ideas the first one didn't work i can't hit him with my spin attack no no because he's way up there and you're on the ground so what if i try my only other attack which is to shoot a bubble at him shoot the weakest bubble i mean it's a it's not a great attack it, it looks pathetic no matter how much damage it does. and But when it hits Skull Kid, it doesn't deal any damage. It just knocks the ocarina off of his belt or whatever. The ocarina falls to the clock face. And uh, I think that T- Tattle like, yells at you to go grab it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so you, uh, uh, you run and grab it, and then you have a flashback. Yeah, you get a black and white cutscene. Is it black and white, or yes. is it just you're in a white void? Oh, it's it, you're in a white void, and it's black and white. It's, Dang. I'm trying to think when, because um, Ocarina of Time did do some cinematic impressionistic sort of flashbacks, um, with like your uh, dream about Ganondorf. And, like, the vision of... I remember the vision of, like, fire coming over Hyrule. You know what I'm that's, talking about? Yeah, that's more of a... Somebody is telling you a history. Yeah, yeah. But it's still, like, a cutscene where things are not being relayed literally. Yes. And yet, I don't think that anything in Ocarina of Time is as stylized as this bit of Majora's Mask. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, where you're in a white void talking to young Princess Zelda, who says... She's here. Hey, she's in this game. She's it's the legend the of game. her. So, I it's, mean, it's she her should legend. show up. Uh, her legend of she gave you something. You are already leaving this land of Hyrule, aren't you? Even though it was only a short time, I feel like I've known you forever. I'll never forget the days we spent together in Hyrule. And I believe in my heart that a day will come when I shall meet you again. 
uh, do not tell me whether that happens because I don't care about that timeline stuff. Until that day comes, please take this. She gives you the freaking Ocarina of Time. The titular Ocarina of Time. She gives you the the, the game that came before this game. <laughs> she gives you the the gold cartridge where Ganon <laughs> has red blood. Um, <laughs> I am praying... I am praying that your journey be a safe one. Well, that didn't work out very well. If something should happen to you, remember this song. The goddess of time is protecting you. If you play the song of time, she will aid you. And then, like, you'll relearn the song of time. And then uh, you wake up and Tattle is saying, snap out of it. What are you doing lost in memories? Get yourself together. Uh, getting that old ocarina back isn't going to help us. Somebody, anybody, goddess of time, help us, please. We need more time. So, what do you do? Well, I get out my ocarina and play the song. Well, you try oh, to get your ocarina out. <laughs> um, this is so good. You open up, you open up. You lift the ocarina to your lips, but now it you is. press C left. It's all these wooden horns. A traditional Deku instrument, we assume. Is it like a yeah. tuba, or do they call it a trumpet? I forget. I think they just call it horns, um, because it's, it's it's like five separate horns that are all arranged in some weird device that you can blow into. Yes. It's very cool. It's so good. This game is amazing. <laughs> and Tattle is like, where did you get that pipe from? <laughs> what? Uh, but you play it, uh, you use it to play the Song of Time, and it works. You... Uh, go back in time. You lose all your rupees and your deed to the uh, the uh, Deku flower in the middle of town. Uh, but you come back out in of the door, and it's dawn of the first day. Seventy two hours remain. Weird. The song of time. You pointed this out the first time we recorded this. In Ocarina of Time, the Song of Time doesn't have magic time powers. Not at all. It has magic removing and relocating block powers. Yeah. And that's it. Um, <laughs> which it's is much cooler in this game. Yes, it's way cooler in this game. And yeah, you, uh, you are the hero of time in a different way. Isn't that fun? It is fun. Uh, but now that we've gotten back to the beginning of the cycle and we've gotten that, uh, I think Tattle says, now that you have your ocarina, let's go back to the mask salesman because he said he would help us. Yeah. So, okay, we'll go back inside the tower. We'll talk right to the yeah. guy. Um, and he says, oh, good. You got your ocarina. Hold on. Let me show you something on my giant pipe organ. It's it it's just there's it's a smash cut to him suddenly having the biggest pipe organ in any video game ever which i think the tones that come out of it sound like a piano am i wrong about this i think you're right oh which that's fine yeah they only uh, have so many instruments that they can put into this game it's well, only they, nintendo 64 they could have like deflanged the um i don't know if they can deflange stuff but i feel like <laughs> It's possible there there is something in the sound font that would sound more like a pipe organ than this. Um, they got to bug Grant Kirkhope because he's got the pipe organs on the. Uh, <laughs> he knows how to put a pipe organ on the sixty four. 
Um, he says, okay, here's what you do. Play this song. By the way, it's my theme song. And he plays the song of healing. And you reproduce the song of healing on your Deku pipes. That might be what they call it, actually. And you have another little hallucination where Link is restored to his human form and is waving goodbye to the giant Deku scrub from his previous hallucination from when he was cursed. And this giant scrub that was chasing him before is now receding over the horizon into the realm of memory. And it's like a really friendly wave. Right. It's, it's, yes. it's, it's not like, yeah, there, there's a sense of like, you're not defeating here. this curse. No, you're not violently ridding yourself of it, but you're coming to terms with it. Yeah. And the way that this game interprets the idea of healing, which is all over the place, you're going to use like all in a, in a way, all or most or some of these masks uh, represent like someone's trauma that has been uh, disconnected from the person and put into, you know, this corporeal form that you can then wear on your own head. Um, like it really bears more discussion than we can put into it right now. I'm, I, yeah, I mean, we're going to hit that. Yeah. We're going to hit that time and time again with every mask we talk about pretty much. Uh, so yes, you get healed where the, this curse of Deku scrubhood becomes something external, something that you're able to handle and something that you now can use. You have access to this, I guess, a new part of your personality almost. Um, and it's a, it's a physical part because it's a mask that like a physical right. Deku mask drops to the ground. Yes. And then and you pick it up and it plays the mask get tune, which is also the song of healing. Which is almost also the, happy mask salesman's theme so establishing a brand (laughs) it's almost the like majora's mask theme huh uh i disagree with that and we'll talk about that on a different episode okay (laughs) (laughs) um then the mask salesman says okay well since you've been gone for what from my perspective was either two minutes or 72 hours did you, you also got, you know, the mask that was stolen from me, right? Yeah. So how, hand that over. He reaches his hand out expecting you to just procure it. And uh, there's a pretty good animation of Link silently saying, uh, I don't have it. And mask salesman is like, what? You don't have it? And then he grabs you and starts shaking you and he says, do you have any idea how bad this is? <laughs> and he explains... He explains that if you leave my mask out there, something terrible will happen. The mask that was stolen from me, it is called Majora's Mask. It is an accursed item from legend that is said to have been used by an ancient tribe in its hexing rituals. It is said that an evil and wicked power is bestowed upon the one who wears the mask. 
According to legend, the troubles caused by Majora's Mask were so great, the Ancient Ones fearing such catastrophe sealed the mask in shadow forever, preventing its misuse. But now the tri that tribe from the legend has vanished, so no one really knows the true nature of the mask's power. But I feel it. I went to great lengths to get that legendary mask. When I finally had it, I could sense the doom of a dark omen brewing. An amazing sentence. It was that unwelcome feeling that makes your hair stand on end. And now, that imp has it. I'm begging you, you must get that mask back quickly or something horrible will happen. And indeed, something horrible will happen. Now, <laughs> the mask salesman tips his hand. It's not that just that he has business back in Hyrule in three days, but like the actual world will end if you don't get this mask back for me. And he knew this all along, the jerk. Yeah. He's trying to play the scene and play you the player oh man it seems that the term tables have turned that's right well um what should we do because that's the end of the first cycle and the little bit of the second cycle yeah uh what should we do on the podcast next well there's a lot of the town to talk about yes uh and we should probably not talk about the whole town at once. No, I think that we should split the town up into multiple episodes. Because if we're going to talk about everything, like the idea is not just to go through the plot, but to talk about everything. Uh, then we want to focus on, this we're going to focus diet. on the town and try and talk about everything in the town. And then go outside of the town and talk about some other stuff. But before we do any of that, I think we should talk about the music. I do like the music in this game. Me That's too. True. So I'm going to see what I can do about getting someone on the podcast who knows about music.